and welcome to According to John. Today we answer the question, how can a loving God send someone to hell? I am your host, John Westfall, and let's get to it. In order to address the question, we have to answer some definitions, and our definitions have to be biblical, and we have to uh, correct any wrong assumptions. And so that's going to be my goal today. As we look into the question, how can a loving God send someone to hell? All right, let's start defining some terms here. So first off, our culture defines a loving God as a completely non-confrontational being who tolerates anything that we do. The reality is that's not, that's not biblical. That's not, it's, it's just not accurate. Uh, as we're going to look at some, some passages here, uh, I want to share a few things that the Bible clearly talks about discipline. Now, if God's going to hold us to a standard to discipline our, our children, uh, it would only stand to reason that God would also discipline. And we're going to talk more about it as, as we go on. But I want to point out a few passages. Uh, Proverbs 12, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs twenty two fifteen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And then we have Proverbs twenty three thirteen, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Now I'm not going to get into the discussion about the Bible talking about beating your children. Listen, this is not about child abuse. This is about loving your child enough to discipline them in the way that they should go. So that when they're older, they'll actually be productive to society. Uh, I'm not going to get into the Bible's promoting uh, uh, child abuse. The Bible's promoting uh, beating a child. It was another day. But today we're going to talk about uh, God loving, right? How can a loving God send people to hell? Hebrews 12.6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If God loves us, he's going to chasten us. He's going to correct us. He's going to teach us how we should go, what we should do. God's going to uh, uh, show us the way so that we are productive to society and we do it according to his standards, not ours. So let's get back to defining or discussing a uh, loving God. How can a loving God uh, send someone to hell? Well, John 14, or I'm sorry, John 4, 16 says that God is love. Now listen to this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. That's key. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So the reality is, guys, that uh, God does not possess love as we do. He is the very definition of love, and therefore, he cannot do anything that is unloving. We talk about the law of non-contradiction, and it states uh, something that uh, something cannot be both true and untrue at the same time. So if God is love, then the reality is that God cannot be unloving. He is either or, but not both. So the first fallacy that we're going to see in the question, how can a loving God send someone to hell, 
is the idea that allowing people to go to hell is an unloving act on God's part. But if we as humans uh, decide that God is somehow wrong to allow unbelieving, unrepentant sinners to pay their deserved penalty, then we have declared that we are more loving than what God is. And then technically what we do is we set ourselves up as God's judge and jury. And so, therefore, the first step in answering the question uh, is that we have to agree with Scripture that God is love. And then everything that he does is an expression of that perfect love. So now the second fallacy that we're going to look at uh, when we look at this question, how can a loving God send someone to hell, we're going to look at the word send. The word send literally denotes uh, an action only on the part of the sender. The word uh, uh, send cannot be, uh, it can't be applied to the question because uh, God has given us freedom. He's given us our free will, right? We have the option to choose uh, in all of our life's decisions. That, that is very important because if we're going to say, how can a God send people to hell, a loving God send people to hell, then that means that he controls the entire decision uh, in that. And, and he doesn't. We literally, we choose whether we go to heaven or hell. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. L- let's look at this for a second. For God so loved you and I that he gave his only Son, Jesus, that whoever chooses to believe in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then 18 goes on to say this, he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. He who chooses to believe in Jesus is not condemned, but he Who chooses not to believe is condemned already because he has not believed or he has not chosen to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so as we see through the Scriptures, and again, everything that we look at, we look at in the Scriptures. We line everything up with the Bible. And uh, as we see this, that uh, it is man's choice to believe in Jesus, and therefore it would be man's choice to go to heaven or to go to hell. And people say, well, Jesus can't be the only way or um, God, (laughs) right? It's like, well, uh, God, we can believe whatever way we want. Well, here's the reality. It's God's heaven. It is God's choice. Just as you join a club, it has rules and regulations that you have to follow to be a part of that club. And if that club says you have to pay your dues, you pay your dues. And if the club says that you have to show up for so many meetings, you show up for so many meetings. And if the club says that you have to act a certain way, you act that certain way. And if you don't do that, then you're out. You can't be a part of the club. Well, Jesus isn't, or or God is no different. And he says, here's, my requirements. If you want to be a part of my club, heaven, we'll call it, right? We're saying uh, uh, heaven is the club here. 
if you want to be a part of my club, then these are my rules. And my rules are very clear. You have to choose to believe in Jesus as your only way. So the reality is that, that if, if we say that uh, uh, in the question, you know, how can a loving God send someone to hell, that implies uh, that if anyone goes to hell, it is the result of God's actions, God's actions alone, and that the person being sent to hell is a victim. And the reality is uh, you have and I have, we have all the say in where we go. It's, again, it's our choice. God says, these are my rules on how to get to heaven. You choose. So the reality is it's not God sending us to hell. It's us choosing to go there because we choose to deny the way God set it up. And so when we look at this, it, it now becomes our personal responsibility. You, you can't, if, you, if you go to hell, you can't blame God. And so when people go, well, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Literally, you are putting it all on God, and then you're saying, well, God's all love. He can't send anyone to hell, but you're right. God is all love. And he's not going to send anyone to hell. He's going to give you your choice. And so the better way to ask the question is if, if God is love, and the Bible says that he is love, then why do some people go to hell? That would be a better question. If God is love, then why do some people go to hell? And then Romans uh, 1, 18 through 20 literally answers the question for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, this is verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so literally the Bible says that since the creation of the world, man can look out, he can see the order. He can see, listen, everything is so interconnected for life. For someone to believe in evolution, that there's a big bang, and because of the big bang, uh, you know, this little amoeba crawls out of a pond of water, and then he grows and then climbs a tree and then gets wings, and then, I mean, just a, this whole process. It's really kind of crazy because, first off, you have to ask yourself, if there was nothing, then how did we get the pond of water? How, how did we get anything out of nothing? If there's nothing, there's nothing. And so now I know some scientists are saying, well, uh, nothing um, creates something. And, and they go, Listen, God says you can look at my creation, and everything is so interdependent that you can't even deny that there was a maker. And he said, because of that, in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, or his quality, which would be his power uh, that he has, his attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Uh, the reality is, God says, I I've shown you me. You, you can clearly look and see 
through the world and creation that I exist, that there is a maker, that maker is me. And for you to deny the maker, you, you're not going to get to heaven. And so again, if we're going to ask the question, the, the better question to ask is, if God is love, then why do some people go to hell? And then when we look at this, this passage, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20, we're going to look at several key points in the passage. First is the fact that, that people suppress the truth. You, you can even tell people the truth, and I've heard them, I've heard, I'll share things with somebody, and well, I, ch- I choose not to believe that. I just, I just can't believe that. Well, who are you to determine truth? Truth is not dependent upon you and I. Truth is truth regardless of what we believe. And so people suppress the truth, and by suppressing the truth, uh, they refuse to believe it, and therefore they refuse God. Let me just tell you, self-will gets in the way, and the reality is we want to deny God telling us what to do. I've, listen, I've shared Jesus with people, and, and they've said, oh, I can't give my life to Jesus because if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to have quit doing, uh, I'm going to have to stop doing some of the things that I'm doing, and I'm just not ready to give it up yet. So, so the reality is it's not even about believing or not believing in a lot of cases. It's choosing to say, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, and if I believe in Jesus, then there's going to be a requirement on me, and I'm going to be held responsible for what I do, and so therefore I don't want to give up the acts that I'm doing now, and so I'm, going to, I'm not going to give my life to Christ. And because of the selfish desires of the heart, uh, people turn away the truth. They, they just don't want no part of it. Atheist Thomas Nagel said this, It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And again, we, we're, we're clearly seeing, I don't want it like that. Therefore, I'm choosing not to believe it. And I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. It's not a loving God sending people to hell. It is people saying, I don't want the requirements from God who is love on my life. The second thing Romans 1.20 states is that uh, God has made his truth known to everyone. And again, in Romans uh, 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. God says, I've I've shown it to you. I've made my truth known to you, but you choose not to believe it. And so the decision of going to heaven or hell, you can't place on God because God has given us the option. God made us in, in his image. Uh, Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, the, the question comes up, well, what's the image of God? If you, I, I remember this has been, oh, my goodness, uh, probably 20 years ago. 
uh, that a I was living in in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time, and and the newspaper came out with a picture of what they believed Jesus looked like, and they literally had the uh, from the waist up was female. the the face The face could have looked either way; could have been uh, male or female. And then, uh, of course, the the uh, female anatomy was on the top and the male anatomy was on the bottom. And so they said, hey, this is what Jesus is because all men are made in, in, in God's image. And so this had to be what Jesus looked like, the image of male and female combined. But that is not accurate at all. We see that uh, the Bible clearly says that Jesus was the son of God. Therefore, if he was the son, he was all man. It says that he grew up into a, a as a man. He was a boy, grew up as a man. Uh, there is no female parts on him whatsoever. He is a man. And so God created man in his own image. What is the image of God? Well, the image of God is three things. Mind or intellect, uh, will, the, free, the, the freedom to choose right or wrong, and emotion. Now, no other being, no other existence has this. If, if you look at animals, we can say they have a mind, and it's true, they do, they do have a mind, but they can't process right from wrong. I mean, they, they can do what you teach them, but on their own, they're not going to process right from wrong as far as should I bite or should I not bite. They just do it out of instinct. And so animals don't have the intellect that we have. Animals don't have the free will to choose right from wrong. So not only can they not process, uh, if I do this uh, and it's good, this will happen. If I do this, it's bad, that'll happen. They, they don't have that intellect to process. The, the, the free choice or free will, they, they cannot sit down and say, hey, okay, this is bad. I better not do it. This is good. I better do it. Uh, if I do bad, this is what's going to happen. If I do good, this is what's going to happen. They, they, don't, they don't have that. They, again, they operate off of instinct. And then emotion. And we can look at a, a dog and go, oh, look, they're happy. I, I mean, listen, yeah, there, there's stuff there. But the Bible says that we have joy and that joy only comes from the Lord. We also realize that, you know, everybody says, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. Uh, listen, happy comes from happenings. And so if, if happy things aren't happening, typically we're not happy. But for a Christian that truly lives out the word of God, holds on to God, is a, is a child of God's and, and puts him first, they have joy no matter what's going on around them, no matter if their world is falling apart. They can still have joy in the Lord, a peace that passes all understanding that someone without the love of God, they just don't understand. And so when we look at, at Genesis one twenty seven, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're made in the image of God male and female, nothing else. And the image of God, the image again is mind, will, and emotion. And so then if you, if you look at, at Romans one twenty, where it says that 
we are without excuse. God made us in his image. Why do you think everybody's always looking for a higher power or looking for something to serve uh, or, or uh, a God, if you will? I find it interesting, even in the Old Testament, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, all the people came to Aaron and said, make us an idol that we can worship. And so Aaron makes them a golden calf. They bring all the gold, uh, all the jewelry to him, and, and Aaron melts it down because Aaron isn't too intelligent sometimes. So at any rate, he melts it all down, and he makes them a golden calf, and then they worship the calf. The weird part about that is, they can destroy the calf. They can melt it down and, and make it into a cat or a dog or a tree. They can make it into whatever they want. And yet they take this golden calf and they worship it as if it's God and they have the power to destroy their idol. What kind of God is that? Or people will look at the sun and they'll worship the sun. They make the sun, uh, the moon, and the stars their God. It's just the sun and the moon and the stars. It has no power to uh, affect your life other than the sun obviously can burn us if we stay in it long. It gives us vitamin D. This is all good stuff. But if you read in the scriptures, the Bible says that God gave us these things uh, so that we can mark our calendars. It gives us direction. You look at the sailors, they don't need a compass. They, and neither do we. When you think about it, the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west. It's true and faithful every day. And God says that he has put it down to give us directions, sign of the times. Uh, the, the, the sun is to rule the day. The moon is to rule the night. Uh, I mean, it's, it's clear why we have this. And God put it in place. He created it, but yet people will still worship it. Or they'll worship a tree. I know that there's, if you go to AA meetings, uh, some of them in, in, in different areas, uh, they'll, they'll tell you, hey, man, if, if worshiping a tree gets you, keeps you sober, then worship a tree. Well, I can cut the tree down, cut it up, split the wood, and burn it in my fireplace and get heat out of it. But once it's gone, it's gone. What, what kind of God is that? And so the Bible says, that we are without excuse because God can look at, at the creation of the world, everything that he's put in it, and clearly see that there's a creator, and the creator's him. And so, therefore, again, we are without excuse. If we're without excuse, if we want to give an excuse, who are, who are we going to give the excuse to? We're going to give it to the one who made us, the one who's going to hold us accountable the reality is, guys, that we have to humble ourselves. And we have to humble ourselves before a mighty, righteous God that is love, but then he's also just. And I think people have a tendency to forget about God is just. And if God says that something's a sin and that there's a price to be paid for doing wrong, I mean, even in society, where do you think we, where do you think we get all of our, our laws and rules and how government was set up? It's all set up through the Scriptures. God says that he set up the government. Man just happened to make it corrupt and abuse it. But God set it up. God says, listen, this is what I expect, and if you're not righteous, you're sinful, and if you're sinful, then uh, we're going to be judged uh, according to the truth that we know. And of course, Romans 18.23 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, uh, uh, God says, I've revealed from heaven what I expect. 
you didn't care for it. And so, therefore, because you didn't care for it, uh, you, you suppress that truth so that you can live the life you want to live. 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. God, Listen, God didn't put all this out there and, and give us all this truth and not, and not put it within us to seek him. The problem is we've chosen a different him. We, we've, our God is either us or whatever we find palatable or whatever we desire. And I'll talk to people. Do you, I, I talked to uh, someone the other day, and I asked if they, uh, if they believed in God. And they went, yeah, I believe in God. Well, the problem is they believed in God, but they didn't believe God. And, and there's, there's a massive difference. I think, I think that's where it all uh, lies. Either I believe in God, but I don't believe God, and so therefore I live my life the way I want. But I talked to him, and, and, uh, and he goes, yeah, I, I believe in God. I pray. And I go, oh, that's interesting. So, so do you believe uh, Jesus is the Son of God? Eh, I don't know about that. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Nah, you know what? I think there's a lot of ways. Well, then the reality is, who are you praying to? I mean, what God are you praying to? And he goes, well, I'm just, I'm just praying. And so I told him, I said, here's the reality, man. You, you don't believe God. And if you don't believe God, you're not a child of God's. And, and I hate to say this, but you're not going to heaven. And, of course, he didn't like that, he didn't like that answer. But, but that's the reality because we do have to humble ourselves and believe God because he put it in us, his existence. Uh, that 20 says that we're without excuse, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And, and guys, this is, this is the, I think this is the crux of it all and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They, the people, whoever it is that's, that's choosing this, uh, have decided that they're going to love animals more than God. They're going to put animals. Listen, we, we even live in a time where you will get a harsher punishment if you uh, uh, if there's animal abuse if you abuse an animal than if you abuse a child or a person. How how can we put and, and listen? I have a dog. I love animals. I I think animals are awesome. I think that God gave us animals as a gift to us to um, just to help us through life. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes some people have service dogs. And, and those, those animals are crucial to helping uh, people get through life, whether it's emotional, physical, uh, uh, seeing eye dog. God thought enough of us to give us these animals, and then we put these animals above him. And that's what verse 23, uh, Romans 1.23 is talking about. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And then 24 says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And it goes on and God's like, hey, if that's what you want, I'll let you have it. 
Because God is a loving God. He is love. And we only know love because of what he has shown us, and then we, we live that out. But God says, I, I'll give you what you want. Uh, you may not like it, but I'll give you what you want. And when answering the question, how can a loving God send someone to hell, uh, we have to look at another uh, facet of, of God's nature. And God is not only love, but he is perfect justice as well. And so God requires adequate payment uh, for the crimes that we commit. And the only just payment for this treason against our perfect creator is eternal separation from him. And again, remember, I said, God said, this, this, is, this is my way, my club, if you will. And when we say, hey, I'm not interested in your club, then God says, okay, so then you're eternally separated from me. But, but it's your choice. It's not mine because if you remember, I've already told you, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. God uh, gave us everything we needed. He gave us truth. He gave us opportunity, and we, we scrapped it all. The just punishment is separation from him. He's going to give us exactly what we want or what we've asked for. And that also means it's the absence of goodness, absence of light, absence of, of uh, relationship and joy. All of that is of God's nature. But if you don't want God, you can't have what God has to offer. And so to excuse our sin would require God to be less than just. And if he is love, and in his love he is also a perfect justice, then God has to be just, and to be just would be to punish us for the crimes that we've committed. And you say, well, what crimes have I committed? The crimes against him for refusing to do things the way he has said and he says, hey, so you don't, you don't want what I have to offer. You don't want to believe me. You don't want to join my club, if you will, heaven. Then, then you have to pay the price, which is the only alternative. It's, it's either me or, or you pay the price, and the price is death and hell and separation from God. And, and by the way, if, if God doesn't give us our due, then he's not just, but then is he love? And so if he, if he is love and he is just, he has to fulfill this. And so the only thing that God could do to make a way to, to not punish us was to give a perfect sacrifice, and, and of course, that's Jesus. And Jesus goes on the, on the cross and pays the price for us, which is, uh, uh, death, separation from God. And it was through his perfect blood that was an acceptable payment for the debt uh, that we each owe God. And uh, Colossians uh, 2.14 says, having, uh, I'm actually going to go to 13, starting 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, uh, you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to, the, to us, or it was, again, it was against us. And he 
has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so the, the acceptable payment that God the Father saw fit to purchase you and I was a sinless, perfect lamb in his son, Jesus Christ. Because life is in the blood, and there had to be a blood sacrifice to cleanse us of our sin. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so again, here is truth, and here is our decision. We, we have to come to the place where we are going to decide. God clearly says in his word, the wages of your sin, my sin, is death. We need to die. And that, that death is not just the body dying, but it is death, meaning complete separation from him. And in verse uh, Romans 6.23, he says this, but, but, listen up. I'm giving you a choice. I'm giving you a way to get to me. I'm giving you a way to get to heaven. The gift, it is a gift. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to work for it. This is a freely handed gift. And the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. But if you refuse that gift, if you reject that gift, then the wages of sin rest back on your shoulders and you have to pay the price, which again is death and eternal separation from God. And so God has given us uh, the freedom to choose. He's given us the freedom to choose how we respond to him. God is not going to force us to love him because if he did that, then we don't have the free will and they're robots, which means that we really don't love him. And God, listen, God says that uh, love, love is only love when it's voluntary. And you and I both know that. Uh, I've asked people this question before. Uh, of their spouse or their mate or their boyfriend, their girlfriend or whatever. Uh, hey, do you want them to love you because you've paid them to love you or do you want them to love you because they have chosen to love you? And every time without question, the, the response is, well, I want them to love me because they love me. If I have to pay them, then they don't really love me. They're just there to get what they can get. That's exactly the way it is with God. No different. God says, I'm going to put all this truth out there. I'm going to give you your option. I'm going to give you the freedom to choose me or deny me. It's yours. It's all yours. Because if you don't love me voluntarily, then it's not love. And to give us no option uh, is in violation to our free will. And God will not violate your free will. He will not violate my free will but he will hold us accountable to the choices that we make. And, and I'm just going to tell you, the freedom of choice is ours. The freedom of consequences is not. We cannot love God unless we have the option of not loving God. 
It's, it's not an automatic. And the Bible tells us that if we love God, then we're going to be obedient to what he tells us. We're going to live the righteous life, meaning that we're going to choose to live as God has told us to live. Now, doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect or we're not going to allow our, our selfish desires to get in the way. But what it does mean is that when we realize we're walking wrong, that we check ourselves and we make the adjustments so that we walk according to his will. And if we don't have the option to not love God, there's no way we can love him. And so, therefore, God says, I'm not going to force you to surrender to me. You're either going to choose to love me or you're not going to love me, but it's your choice. C.S. Lewis said it probably the best. In his uh, uh, book, The Great Divorce, he says this, There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell chose it. Guys, I hope that answered the question for you. I hope that you clearly understood. You've learned maybe maybe a few things in there brought some clarity to you. And, uh, and I'm praying that you choose God and that you understand that a loving God does not send people to hell. A loving God gives people the option to love him or to not love him. And it is the option that we choose that determines our destination. I hope you like, subscribe, uh, uh, share. Until the next time on According to John, God bless.